Hello and welcome to Pressing Matters, a fly-on-the-wall-style podcast about WordPress, business and life. Your hosts are Ian. Hello. And Jack. Hello. Ian's a plug-in author and works for Delicious Brains. And Jack runs better notifications for WP and his web design agency. Let's get on with the show. This episode is sponsored by Fastspring, the full-service e-commerce solution that enables software companies to sell more, stay lean, and compete big. Find out more on fastspring.com. And on that note, let's listen to a chat that Ian and I had with Will Etling from Fastspring about his involvement in their WordPress marketing website. Hey, Jack. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Um, at Fastspring, I am a I guess I'm technically a manager of web development on the marketing team, um, but basically I work on FastSpring's corporate and marketing website day to day, and that site runs on WordPress. And I also build some internal tools for our sales team, and sometimes get to work on customer customer projects. So, kind of a mixed bag of FastSpring related stuff. Kind of all things WordPress within the sphere of Fastspring, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you could put it that way. Um, so I actually, before I started at Fastspring, I was mostly doing Ruby on Rails, actually. I was running like a small, um, a one-man agency, I guess you could call mm-hmm. it, uh, and building a lot of client sites, small business websites, and so WordPress, you know, I had dabbled in WordPress in the past and then Ruby on Rails was on this real hot streak of popularity. And because of developers that I knew and people I was talking to, I kind of went that route for a while. And once I came to FastSpring, I, I got to come back to WordPress and it was, it's been a really good experience actually. Nice. What would you say was, um, when you say it's a good experience, what is there anything specific that you're enjoying about it from when you kind of left to do Ruby and then came back to it? Yeah, so I think, you know, there was this notion for a while that WordPress was, uh, how do I put this nicely? It was kind of like out of date or it wasn't the right tool for, um, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff about it's not fast or it's not secure. And then I let that get into my head. And then in Ruby, I was building these CMSs and stuff where I was rebuilding everything from scratch every time. And when I came back to WordPress, first of all, it had like it had matured a lot. There were way more users. The, the whole environment and ecosystem was like really robust and popular. And there was a lot of buzz and, um, I realized that it's actually the best tool for so many websites and uh, CMSs. And I don't know, once I got my head around the WordPress way of how it kind of organizes data and, and how you use it, I, I've just been, there's been no looking back. Yeah, nice. I think that's a, that's a common thing, isn't it? It's just, it is a great tool for a lot of jobs and it, it gets a bad rep even now because people use it for too many things and the wrong jobs. But it's still really good at what it can do and what it can give you. Um, yeah, but, and I think young developers coming out of boot camps and things like that are so focused on this huge, uh, you know, massive scale enterprise um, type of stack that they lose sight of this 
giant marketplace and opportunity of all the things that WordPress can do and, and all of these, you know, you've got your sole proprietor kind of like blogs on one, on one end. And then you've got something like, um, you know, Uber or Amazon or something running at a massive scale. But I think between there is just sort of this area that no one ever talks about, which is most of the internet, you know, it's websites that are delivering information and, um, need to be able to be maintained by a consumer and then like you have to also be able to find new developers for them quickly because people come and go and so I think WordPress kind of covers that huge that huge gap in the middle and that's that's why we're seeing that 30 percent plus market share yeah it's mm -hmm. 35 or something now isn't it it's it's getting is it yeah yeah I think yeah you're totally right because even even the top end like very very high traffic websites large websites there's there's a number of them that are running wordpress i mean it might be wordpress vip type sites that are getting you know the white glove treatment from the wordpress team and the engineering team and everything is super well tuned from the the site point of view and what code is being run on it but it's still wordpress at the end of the day and wordpress.com the multi is a multi-site installation so it's like it, it can handle a lot that people throw at it yeah. um and i think it just yeah if it's badly if a site's badly um run or operating it's not necessarily wordpress's fault it's the people who have put it together's fault and like they've just chucked loads of plugins at it and it's not i don't know it's not cached or it's not whatever like it's it could actually be great and super performant i think yeah absolutely and i think there's also you know the abandonment problem of people hiring a developer they get a website up and running and there's sort of an expectation sometimes that that's it it's just going to run itself forever you know um and like any like any software wordpress has to be updated that's what i was pretty excited about the um automatic plugin update feature that just shipped yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it's interesting you say that about keeping it up to date, and making sure that you know clients are kind of educated in that area. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, because I think that's the, that's the common uh, where you were saying earlier about you know WordPress isn't secure. It is secure. It's inherently secure. It's only insecure if there's an outdated component with some kind of a vulnerability, and that's usually because it's an outdated version of. You know WordPress. I mean, you know, I've had clients, old clients, new clients that you know you come to their website. We need help with something. You log in, they're running WordPress for something, and you know from years and years ago, and you you know because it works. You know they daren't touch it in case something mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't uh, you know go right afterwards. But um, yeah, absolutely, got to keep it up to date. You, you mentioned the auto update stuff. Will are you is that a good thing you see from from just a general perspective, or is it something that is going to help your deployment process for the fastspring.com site like it, it just feels risky doesn't it to have it on in all site circumstances yeah I, there's definitely the risk um component i think it's it's helpful for me at fastspring um for some of our low risk plugins i guess i'll call them you know things that do small adjustments to the way our admin um, looks or feels. I probably, 
I'm never going to enable it on certain plugins that would, you know, one bad update would, would tank the site. So it's definitely going to be like a pick and choose uh, scenario, which ones I'm, I'm going to allow to auto update. But I think for smaller client sites and for small agencies that have, um, you know, one or two developers and then large numbers of client sites, if they can uh, leverage that to do a little less maintenance time, that's probably going to be really helpful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was doing that earlier. I was sort of cherry picking the plugins on a couple of my sites where I thought those are safe. I know that I know that they're well-maintained plugins, you know, they 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 might update frequently or even e infrequently, but either way, they're always well tested, they're solid. I'm going to enable auto updates for those. And um yeah, it was it was interesting seeing how that could potentially work. I mean, I suppose, you know, um point releases for core have been enabled for a long time now but um by default uh but yeah we're just obviously just starting with that sort of plug-in and theme stuff so it feels a bit new and scary but i don't i don't think it should be i think we've got if we think back to core and core doing it for us we don't really think about it all that much anymore i know some people turn it off um i don't think it's anything really to worry about at this stage so um yeah i, I would I would say, like like you, cherry pick the sum and uh, and see how it works. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. If you think about every plugin on your site, like if it's a WooCommerce site selling s selling stuff, you're going to test WooCommerce updates. But how often do you ever go through and see an update from ABC plugin or whatever and go and test it? And like on staging before you update it you just update it and check it works like so it's just the same kind of thing but it's a bit more hands-off and 99 percent of the time it'll be fine but yeah yeah, yeah. exactly I, i'm sure somewhere here soon we'll see some kind of negative incident or fallout or something but um yeah i think the long term it's the it's the only way to go because people are starting you know on certain levels people are looking at things like squarespace or shopify and you don't there's not this mental model of like oh i need to go update that so i think for wordpress to 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 maintain its share it needs to feel a bit more automatic like that yeah um well i'm interested because obviously you're using wordpress on fastspring.com and to me that's like a a big site like that's an important site and like what's your what's your sort of stack for creating that site are you a page builder person is it a custom theme like what's your go-to plugin set and yeah so it was um it actually was visual composer when we kind of launched it um and it was a theme that was heavily modified. And since then, we've moved to Gutenberg with only custom blocks and a custom theme. And that was just, I would say that 95% of that, well, maybe not. Okay, let me back up. I would say 60% of that was to speed things up and eliminate bloat. Um, and probably the other 40% was getting it to look and feel the way we want. Um, I just, as a front end developer, really like having full control over what, what kind of HTML is getting spit out on the other end. So 
I, I, some, I honestly sometimes struggle a bit with, with any sort of uh, theme that I didn't build. Um, mm. And then as far as my sort of development process, um, I am, uh, I use Vim and Tmux and uh, Gulp for uh, compiling SCSS and, and JavaScript and all that good stuff. And then I was curious, I wanted to ask you guys about one thing that I think is uh, kind of tricky sometimes with WordPress sites is the whole deployment process. What, what's your favorite deployment tool or, or what does that look like getting it from your whatever environment you're in to the actual production server? Uh, I'll go first, Jack, because I'll probably end up selling stuff. Um, my <laughs> my current go-to thing is um, I like all my sort of personal sites and my product sites all run on a DigitalOcean uh, VPS, like just a DigitalOcean box, and I'm using SpinUpWP.com, which is you know full disclosure, it's a it's a product of the company Delicious Brains that I work for, sort of day in day out. But that's the sort of the evolution of this hosting WordPress yourself idea where you spin up a, a VPS on DigitalOcean or Linode or whatever and you provision it with everything you need to run the sort of Nginx, MySQL and all of that stuff and, and PHP and then run WordPress. So it's super easy to have like my sites on there and the killer feature for me is push to deploy from Git. Um, a Git repo, so it has like a connection to my GitHub repository, and it knows that when I push to the master branch, it will deploy it on the server, and like it's as it's as easy as you know committing in Git and then pushing from my local, and it, away it goes, and then like it's done, and there's a post deployment script that just uh, either compiles the assets on the server, runs Composer install, clears the cache, the page cache, and yeah. And that's like, to me, that's a massive thing because I was using um, DeployBot, I think, before for other sites. Um, and I had to go in and, and do that. And it just, I don't know, it's, or, you know, even FTP and stuff back in the day. This is just a dream when you're just in a kind of a, a Git version controlled world of your code and master is what's on live, basically. That's, that's me, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've used a couple of different things. I um, I was just googling it because I couldn't remember the name, but I've used Deploy HQ before um, for kind of it almost acts as like a go-between for FTP, I guess. Um, so similar to like you know the push to master that um, Ian was talking about, um, and that was quite good. Um, I have used um, WP Migrate DB Pro. I use that for databases all the time. And they have uh, the media extension and the sort of the themes and plugins extensions as well. So, you know, you can, if there's any changes on local, you don't have to push the database, you can just push that stuff over. So that's really helpful as well, because you just, you're sat in your development environment, your WordPress dashboard, and you can just kind of push stuff over and know it kind of goes there. So that's good as well. Um, I'm also still quite a big fan of FTP though actually um, other than Git deployments which I do as well um, via like spin up and stuff um, simply because a lot of the clients that I have you know 
if they need help with something, I need to look at a particular file. Sometimes like the Git workflow with all these things can be quite complicated. And really what you want to do is just kind of get in there and have a look at a file or download stuff really quickly. And I find that FTP is actually just a, the perfect tool for me for doing that. And a feature that I always look for in an FTP tool um, is some kind of sync or comparison feature so you know you can open up two folders and then press the sync button and it'll check for what files have changed based on like a modification date or a file size and then it will show you what it thinks the differences are and you know you can usually see from a glance oh, i've worked on those files that looks correct to me and you can sync them over straight away and it just kind of replaces those so that's that's I use that a lot and I find that really helpful. Um, I know it's a bit sort of old hat and everything, but um, it, it works really well. So, um, but yeah. Um, I, interestingly, you say about Gulp, I've just started using Gulp as of, I think, end of last week um, for a WordPress plugin, my latest WordPress plugin, um, because I wanted to remove the dependency on CodeKit, which is uh, the Mac app I was using for compiling SAS and JavaScript. Mm. Yeah. and uh, and that's a bit good fun and that's got a lot of like tasks and build stuff built into it that I want to explore as well so um, so yeah do you use it for that kind of thing or is it really just like minification just like front end stuff it's mostly um, front end stuff on the way I'm using it on, on the FastSpring site um, so I, I'll compile all my uh, SCSS before I deploy it and then I push I do a similar thing. It's in a Git repo, and then it goes to um, Beanstalk app, which mm -hmm. is just you know another one of those Git to FTP basically go betweens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I use Gulp for for the CSS and also um, concatenating a lot of JS files. I try to like keep things functionally organized into separate little little JS files, and then those all become one bundle. Um, that goes to production. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, there's a lot of other interesting things you can do with Gulp um, that I need to explore. Yeah, I was. I think I was saying that to Jack the other day because you can basically just run any kind of command line stuff in a Gulp task. So I've seen people who have like whole deployment processes for their WordPress plugin run through a Gulp tasks like. You know, compile the assets, build a zip, or even just do all of like the localization of strings and text domains added to any um, localized string in PHP files. It will just go and put the text domain in for you, so you don't have to worry about doing that every time you you write in code. And it will you can have tasks to push to the S, um, SVN repository. So it's it's pretty. I think it's pretty powerful. That was uh, you reminded me. I have. A couple internal plugins that I that I don't include that functionality in the theme that we use, um, and to package those up, I use Gulp to to zip up all the files, which is super handy uh, and way easier to keep track of. You know, when I've actually finished the stuff I'm doing, and I want to package it. It's not I don't have to remember whether or not I went in and uh, zipped all the all the files up. Yeah. You just but, reminded me there, Ian. I should add that adding generating pop files to my. I've got a, just a, a bash shell script and generating pop files just prior to release and putting them in the right place. Definitely yeah. something that should be in there. Thanks. <laughs> nice. There was a 
I'm starting to try to find a good primer on Webpack with WordPress because it seems like with all the Gutenberg um, React stuff, Webpack might be the more logical choice. I know it can do a lot of the things that Gulp does. Um, I think Webpack seems to, like, I've used it a little bit with, like, React custom blocks, and it just seems way over my head. It just seems so scary and so yeah. hard to I configure, agree. hard to understand, hard to debug, like, if there's an issue. And literally everybody I speak to are like, I just, they just can't handle it either. Um, I saw, I see Brian Crosgar tweeting about, I think, Wes Boss on Twitter had said, Parcel JS or Parcel was like a simpler form of Webpack, and Brian Crossguard was looking at it, thinking, "God, this is like if you if you're moving from Gulp or Grunt, you know, and you want to move into sort of a, a, a newer tool, but Webpack is literally too scary because it's Webpack. Like Parcel JS looked really good. I think it's Parcel JS, definitely Parcel. I have to have a look at that. I did wonder that because I, you know, I've used Grunt and Gulp. In a very limited way, usually when I've been given a project from someone else uh, and it's like a theme build or, you know, I have to take over the development or something. And I was looking at all the available options to me and I couldn't work out which one to do, Grunt or Gulp. But I just, I went for Gulp in the end for reasons. Uh, but Webpack seemed to be the one that really, like, you know, if you don't want to do Grunt or Gulp, then Webpack's the newer one. And I thought, do I just jump in? But I thought, no, this is still quite a new thing. I need to learn how to do this. And then I thought... I know I like to get it right, but at the same time, I feel like I should get to grips with something first, and this seemed like the easier thing to do. I'm pleased I didn't spend the last two weeks working how to do Webpack, though, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, Webpack, I, I've had the exact same experience where it's just so much configuration, and I don't know what it is about how it's configured or, like, the, the mental system it uses but it's really hard for me to wrap my head around and it's stuff like that that is kind of because i i enjoy working in react once i finally get a project set up and i'm actually making changes to like jsx and in the actual react files but it's all that configuration beforehand and then kind of the mysteries of when it's getting compiled that that turn me off to it so mm. It's it's the classic developer thing, isn't it? You're trying to do something new with a new tool, and you spend all the time mucking around trying to get the tool working, and it just it's a real blocker. To I think I was I was taking a course, an online course on React like a year or so ago, and the first three or four videos were just all about getting set up before you even start coding stuff. Yeah, like mm. and that just seems such a a barrier to entry. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, that being said, though, it is uh, obviously the, the thing to use for things like um, React and stuff, which I think neatly brings us on to um, Gutenberg and blocks. And you were saying about using uh, custom blocks in your redesigned theme for Fast Spring. Um, so what what are you using for that? You, you say you're not using Webpack. You're not building custom blocks. How, how are you doing that? So when we decided to switch from a page builder to Gutenberg, um, I knew that we were going to want a lot of custom blocks. And I found, I did find a really great tool, which you've probably tried out, which is Create Gutenblock. Um, and it's like a pre-built sort of 
uh, automated way of just spinning up a brand new empty boilerplate uh, food brew bar. So that was kind of the route we were going to go. And right around that time, um, Elliot at ACF announced the, the um, and I always mangle the actual name of it, but his solution for creating Gutenberg blocks using ACF. And as soon as I tried that, I was like, oh, we're, we're going this route. Because it already fit in neatly with how we were doing a lot of custom uh, fields for different pages and for um, in, within our admin and users and everything. So it was just a natural natural pick. So you're nice. using yeah. ACF anyway then, and it just was... It, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a bridge, isn't it, into the block world? Yeah, and ACF, I feel like, is just a part of WordPress for me. I, I don't yeah. think I build a site anymore without installing it. Between kind of mm. between my Ruby on Rails years and WordPress, I once in a while would use um, a PHP CMS called Process Wire. I don't know if you've ever run across that, but um, no. no, it was it was popular for for a couple minutes. Maybe not even popular, but it was gaining some traction, and. Uh, it's basically just ACF as a CMS. And so mm. once I came across ACF with WordPress, it was, that was that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're quickly becoming the ACF Appreciation, Appreciation Society podcast <laughs> because we've had Elliot on a couple of times and it's just, it, it's such a, like, you're right, it is, it makes WordPress better and it feels like it's just naturally part of WordPress, like, yeah, I don't think I could. There's build nothing sites bad to say it. about it, is there? There's there's nothing bad about ACF at all, you know, other than it's a plugin that you install, but it's the first plugin that so many people install. I I can't think of a negative, and I'm not just saying that because Elliot might be listening. <laughs> yeah, there was, I will say yeah. there's a couple times when I've gotten myself into like a sort of an object oriented mess because I am building out a a site or something and I, I use a repeater row. I'm so fast to like jump to, oh, ACF will solve this, where I should have just created like a custom post type and loop through them or something. Like sometimes you can you can kind of break the WordPress way by using ACF too much, but that's the only, and that's not ACF's fault, that's my fault for not thinking a, a certain object all the way through, so. Yeah, it, it it's too easy to spin stuff up in the in the UI that sometimes rushes architectural decisions because you just know you can create it there and then and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, that sometimes there's just more than one way to do something and you might be just coming at it a different way. And on that road to discovery you find that that's not necessarily the way, but I've done that plenty of times. But in the opposite way around, funnily enough, I've gone down the whole hog of, you know, doing like a post type in a taxonomy and I thought actually this can be done with a custom field or a relationship field or something That's like that true. and it it kind of it, it's that other layer of abstraction and sometimes those lines can be a bit blurry in ACF I, I, I grant you yeah um, so the how are you getting on with the ACF blocks are you uh, are you enjoying using them do you use them a lot on the site we use them pretty much everything you see on the site is an ACF custom block um, with the exception of like our navigation and footer, um, everything else is is uh, 
a block, and it's usually an ACF block. I think okay. we're starting to find some fun new opportunities with treating blocks less, thinking about blocks um, not just as a block embedded in a single page, but blocks that pull in um, content automatically from other other sources. Um, we're trying to reduce the amount of time it takes to like update featured content around the site and just more programmatic content like that. So it's been fun mm. to combine that kind of task with the ACF blocks model. So the custom blocks you, you were talking about adding, you know, fetching data and stuff, it, I guess that they're a bit more in depth than just the presentational stuff. And rather than just adding data into the field, is it, is it dynamic data? What sort of stuff are you pulling in? So some of it is, um, some of it is pretty basic stuff, but just like moving the content up a level. So let's say you have a block on a page and you want to put three like case studies from customers of yours. Early on, we were making it so that you would go into that page that you were working on, go find the case study, featured case study block, change the three case studies. Um, but I found that that's just, we end up using that block on a lot of pages. And so now you have this issue of going through and updating multiple pages. Um, so if we create a custom post type and call that, you know, featured, featured case studies selection one or something, then you can go through, create a custom block that references that post type, which contains the featured uh, case studies. And so it's just, it's just thinking out, you know, thinking ahead of time, how, how often are we really going to want to update blocks across multiple pages? Um, and when should we do something that's a little bit more like syndicating feeds of content throughout our own website? Nice. Yeah, and I guess that is, that is another thing that even though you could do it with a custom React block, it would be probably super tricky to build into, whereas with the ACFs, the, the ACF integration with ACF blocks, it's easy just to say, well, this field is now a post object of this post type. You don't yeah, have to build all the, all the UI you, around it. Yeah, and you go update that one post you know, you de you decided that selection one of the featured case studies is kind of out of date, so you update a couple of them, um, and then off it goes and updates the entire site. It's great. Nice. Yeah. So uh, you're you uh, presumably from a layout perspective as well, you can obviously reorganize the the block. So you're presumably being able to create new pages very quickly, very easily, and you're harnessing all that power as well. So you can. If you need to create a landing page for a specific marketing campaign, or you know, say you were highlighting, you know, fast springs, you know, talking to pressing matters or something, you could create a page on that really, really quickly using blocks, drag them into the order that you want, get anything you want really, really quickly. Yeah, it's super, super fast. And I mean, you know, we used to have that kind of uh, capability with um, a page builder and. You can modify some of the site-wide settings, and and you can write up a little guide so that anyone working on the site knows to set a certain page builder component to a certain margin and width and all these things. But with the custom blocks, we just take all of that. We remove the possibility 
to mess up. So whatever you're building is going to be on brand because the mm -hmm. only option is to be on brand. And then, um, you know, when they're working on the settings and stuff, it's just a question of, do you want it to look like this and be on brand and have the right padding and the right colors and logos and stuff? Or do you want it to be this other way? And so I think it's just kind of narrowed the, the um, channel a little bit and just made it easier for people to really quickly make things that look and feel new, but are completely almost automated at this point. Mm. So, so you've got a good amount of non-technical users we using. Have a, we don't have a huge. Creating. We don't have a huge marketing team, but we have, um, you know, some people writing content, and um, we have some really good um, SEO efforts that we we try to focus on. And so we're in there a lot, updating text and and moving things around, trying to make sure that we can rank for some some good organic queries. Um, you know, we help people sell digital products. So there's quite a bit of competition as far as ranking highly in Google for things like selling digital products, selling software, that type of, that type of search, which yeah. I was meaning to say, I am really excited to, uh, check out the WP plugin rank. Um, Oh, nice. Project. I actually you... signed up for it today. Oh, I did see um, that, yeah. I, I, I assumed you just listened to the last episode of the podcast, maybe. Yeah, I was catching up. I didn't want to be totally out of the loop when we talked today. So, um, yeah, oh. yeah that's, that seems great. We use some some powerful SEO things for Google, but I've never seen anything for, for the actual WordPress directory itself. So I'm excited. Nice. Oh yeah, well you definitely let me know how you get on and if you've got any feedback and presumably like because we talked to John Tavis, he's got you've got the WordPress plugin mm -hmm. on the plugin repository which helps people connect their WordPress sites to fastspring.com and mm -hmm. you know around that you want to get that in front of as many eyes as possible as well hence using plugin rank is that is that the the that's, kind of the main goal yeah. and you've got other plugins yeah that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I think right now people are discovering it because they they hear about FastSpring and then they find out that we have some WordPress um, integrations. And it would be great to kind of change that a little bit to where people are discovering us because they're trying to sell some kind of download or sell software or even sell, you know, a WordPress plugin. So I will definitely let you know how that goes nice well that's nicely bookended the chat with a little bit of an advert for my own product i like what you've done there will thank you very much Anytime. <laughs> yes I'm, yeah i'll send you an invoice <laughs> yeah oh no it's really good to chat and just just talk to another developer who's doing sort of similar stuff with sites because obviously we you know jack's doing it day in day out for clients and we're both managing our own sites for our own things and like, it's just interesting to to talk just to talk about the craft and what you're doing and how you're doing it. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, this this was great. I'm we're kind of cooped up here in our house and now we're cooped up with like wildfire smoke outside. So uh, this was like a nice chance to feel like I was at the coffee shop or something. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> nice. 
Oh, it's always yeah, it's always good to have a chat, and I think that's what we're finding with the podcast. It's it, it's just a chat, isn't it? It's just a good time to catch up. And Jack and I don't talk that often, apart from the podcast. So it's always nice to have a a good conversation about stuff that you know you start talking to your wife about. You don't get the same response. Like you could get a glazed overlook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I've enjoyed listening to your to your you had some different updates during like the lockdowns and stuff. And you're talking about dealing with sometimes, you know, low productivity and stuff like that and everyone is going through that right now. So it was good to hear somebody else saying it out loud. Yeah. Yeah, it was it seems like a long time ago now, but it really wasn't and it yeah, possibly going to be back into weeks of lockdown we'll be doing coronavirus catch-ups again maybe hopefully not but yeah it's uh it's comforting though isn't it knowing literally you know most countries most people in the world are going through the same thing all at the same time which is extremely rare um it's a shame it's not under better circumstances obviously but it is nice um yeah from wherever you're from to know that people are experiencing the same thing um yeah i understand that i appreciate that yeah, like Ian says, hopefully, hopefully we won't have to do any more of them. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, it was great talking to you, Will. Thank you very much for coming on. And, Thank um, you for having me. Where, where can people find you if they want to, you know, if you've got Twitter and so on? Um, I cancelled my Facebook account yesterday. Just a little side note. Uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter, but I don't maintain much of a presence there. But uh, etling.com is my website, and it's one of those portfolios that really needs to be updated someday. So, But you can head over there. I uh, have some little side projects that I'm working on, including one that goes and tries to find campsite reservations, because here in the U.S., everyone is uh, hitting the road and going camping since they can't do anything else. So we'll see how those pan out. Is that, is that a WordPress-based project, or is it Ruby on Rails? Have you gone back? I actually used WordPress for it, and I ran into some interesting, uh, tricky stuff around scheduled jobs and, and WP Cron and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have... The, the fact that it just doesn't work because it's not a real Cron. It's shit. It's rubbish. <laughs> like... So I found... Uh, here's another unpaid advertisement, but Easy Cron was my solution which is basically just a paid service that pings other things for you on a schedule. But if if you use that to ping WordPress frequently enough, then it'll kind of turn into a real a real yeah. cron. Mm. Yeah, we we do that with um WordPress sites hosted on spinupwp or hosted with spinupwp.com .com .com. Um is that a TLD? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, where you can you can set the constant a constant in the WP config just to say disable the cron. So like WordPress's own internal ticking over when it gets people visiting, which could yep. be once every month, is disabled, and spin up WP will run a proper server cron job to hit your site on the cron WP cron.php just to act like a proper cron. So it's yeah it's. It's definitely a weird oddity in WordPress, and I, I, I feel like hosts should deal with it better than they do. But mm. yeah, yeah, that's one of those things where you start to realize that server time and processing time really does 
cost money because people just don't want to run those tasks over and yeah. over again. So I did have a nice moment. I signed up for EasyCron and then um, got an invoice and it was through Fastbring and I didn't realize that they were a customer. So. Nice. <laughs> Brilliant. Nice. All right. Nice. Well, yeah. Good to chat to you guys and um, Jack will talk next time and Will, take it easy, mate. You too. Hopefully get to talk to you guys some other time. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds right. good. Have a good day. You too. Have a good Bye. evening. All right. Thank you. Speak Bye. soon. Bye. Cheers. Bye.